Hello, and thank you for joining us. Morning Commute is developed in collaboration with That Point of Care and Projects and Knowledge and is part of a continuing medical education series. This CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash COPD3. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. In our six-part series on COPD, Diagnosis of Patients with COPD Using the Gold Recommendations in Clinical Practice and the COPD Assessment Test was discussed in Episode 1. Our second episode took a look at dual therapy, and in our third episode, our experts will discuss triple bronchodilator regimens and which patients would most benefit from this therapy. Two pivotal trials, IMPACT and ETHOS, have shown the viability of including a LAMA, LABA, and ICS into one bronchodilator. In the Phase 3 IMPACT trial, the triple therapy combination of the ICS fluticasone furate, the LAMA, umaclidinium, and the LABA, volantarol, was compared with either the ICS-LABA or the ICS-LAMA. The patients on the triple therapy had a significantly lower annual rate of moderate or severe exacerbations compared with those who received the ICS-LABA or the ICS-LAMA, and also a lower rate of hospitalization. The IMPACT trial formed the basis of the FDA approval for this triple therapy in a single bronchodilator. The FDA just approved another triple therapy based on the ETHOS trial, which compared the single bronchodilator combination of ICS budesonide, the LAMA glycoperonium, and the LABA formaryl fumarate to two dual therapies. This trial showed that compared to the two dual therapy regimens, the ICS LABA or the LAMA LABA, the triple therapy bested both dual therapies in significantly reducing COPD exacerbations. In this episode, our experts look at the real-world clinical use of these single inhaler therapies. I'm your host, Candace Hoffman, Managing Editor of Morning Commute. We are joined by Dr. Jill Ohar, Professor of Pulmonary Critical Care, Allergy, and Immunologic Medicine at Wake Forest University School of Medicine, and by Dr. Melan Han, Professor of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Michigan. Dr. Ohar will begin our discussion. Hello and welcome to our discussion about triple therapy for COPD. I am joined by Dr. Milan Han. Milan, welcome. Thank you, Jill. In our last podcast, we discussed single and dual bronchodilator regimens for COPD. Now, we also have triple therapies for our patients. So, Milan, tell me, when would you make that leap between a double and a triple? That's a really great question, Jill. So I think it depends a bit on who we're talking about. But I would say the majority of patients that you're thinking about for a triple probably already were on something, right? So uh, they were either on perhaps a single bronchodilator, maybe they were on a dual bronchodilator, or maybe they were on an inhaled corticosteroid long-acting beta agonist combination. But usually they were on something. When you get to the point of thinking, gosh, does this patient need something more? So I think the real question here is, what is the evidence for what triple therapy could do for a patient? 
I think our usual goals in treating COPD would be to improve symptoms and reduce exacerbations. Uh, and we've got a series of studies that have come out now recently uh, that I think uh, give us confidence that triple therapy really as compared to either of the dual combinations uh, does result in greater improvement in symptoms as well as uh, exacerbation uh, reductions. Although there are some caveats to this, uh, I think it's important to realize that the studies that have looked at this have not looked at a, the majority of studies, not all, but the majority um, have looked at uh, patients that tend to be uh, more symptomatic as well as have uh, some exacerbation history. Uh, so I think that the weight of the evidence uh, suggests that for our sicker patients who have more symptoms and 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 or more exacerbations, uh, that is where I will start to consider uh, triple therapy. Yeah, I think that's a great answer, and I think you you've already highlighted one of the things that I always wrestle with when I take the the research data to the clinic, and that is is that many trials uh, tend to be uh, enriched by uh, patients who have exacerbations. So to qualify for a given trial, a patient must have had at least one exacerbation in the last year. And we know that, that there is an actual exacerbation phenotype kind of patient. And, and so that may not be the patient that's sitting in front of you in the clinic. Um, so not all of these drugs are right for every patient. I think you've also kind of highlighted the idea that if a patient is on a LABA ICS, um, but they have um, increasing breathlessness, um, it may be time to go to a triple. Furthermore, you may have a patient who's on a dual bronchodilator, a LABA plus LAMA combination, but keep having exacerbations, and that's the one you might want to go to a triple with. How, what do you do about blood eosinophils? We haven't really talked a lot about eosinophils in this podcast series yet, and I think it's important. Um, it certainly factors in my decision of what kind of drugs for what kind of patients. How about you? Yeah, that's uh, an issue I think that we're all uh, struggling with right now. I have to admit that I was initially an eosinophil naysayer. <laughs> when some of the initial studies first uh, started coming out, I, I was very skeptical uh, about the data, but I think that we've got more and more studies coming out and they're all essentially showing the same thing, which is giving me some increased confidence that the data is probably correct. And that is a lot of these studies that have looked at um, steroid in, uh, containing regimens in particular, uh, have looked at baseline serum eosinophils uh, in terms of absolute counts. And I would say the majority of the data really suggests that, uh, well, first of all, it's continuous. Even though I'm gonna talk about thresholds, you should realize that the data really is actually continuous, but we have to try to find a number to, to put somewhere for clinical guidance. Uh, but that below, I would say roughly below 100, it really doesn't look like these patients uh, benefit from inhaled steroids uh, if they've got those low eosinophil counts below 100. Above 100, I think we see sort of this continuous uh, curve where the higher the eosinophils, the more likely the benefit with respect to uh, exacerbation reduction for uh, inhaled corticosteroid-containing regimens versus not. So while I, I, inhaled steroids, I think it can be very beneficial in the right patient, we're always 
thinking in the back of our minds as well, though, about the potential uh, harms. Uh, for some patients, those might be mild, such as annoying things like thrush or change dysphonia. But for other patients, we also know that inhaled steroids can increase the risk for pneumonia, particularly among older patients. Uh, and I think over the life course, there certainly at least are theoretical uh, concerns about things like cataracts and diabetes, et cetera. So uh, I like to think uh, for each individual patient about sort of that risk-benefit ratio and platform and, and how much uh, potential benefit I think they could get looking at the symptoms, exacerbation history, as well as the ESNFLs uh, against the particular harms, which is also that profile will also differ a bit uh, for each patient. So I think it really, uh, we're really, I think now in an era, we're trying to personalize approaches for patients makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And I think it's important for, for people to understand that all inhaled glucocorticoid containing uh, regimens have associated with them the potential for provoking pneumonia. And that runs between three and 6%, depending upon the study and the number of patients and the agents, et cetera, uh, if a study lasts a year or so. So that is also one of the pitfalls uh, of uh, or potential pitfalls of inhaled glucocorticoids in, in addition to the thrush, dysphonia, and the other uh, side effects you, you've noted. Um, I often find that what, what we really need to do is, is, as always, weigh risk versus benefit, which is what you've, not, you've noted so far. Um, I, I feel that the eosinophil count is kind of like prunes, you know, is three too many, <laughs> is two enough? I, I'm never quite sure what that op, operative, you know, the operant number is. Um, Furthermore, I'd like to kind of talk a little bit and bring back the concept of device again. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the idea of thrush, often patients who use an inhaled glucocorticoid and get that dysphonia, get that thrush, get that weakening of the voice, it's again because the drug ended up in the back of the throat instead of down deep into the lungs where it belonged. And so simply teaching patients, if you're on a dry powder, inhale as hard and as fast as you can. If you're using a, an ICS-containing therapy that, that's available uh, via a meter dose inhaler, sometimes adding a spacing device and also telling patients slow down and inhale deliberately and slowly along with the spacing device can be very beneficial to avoid those kinds of uh, problems. And finally, reminding patients, wash your mouth out after you've used an inhaled glucocorticoid-containing product. I'd like to kind of shift gears uh, because I'm, I'm so excited I, uh, about the newer studies, the IMPACT trial and the ETHOS trial. Uh, these are two different trials uh, looking at two different triple combinations. Both of these combinations included uh, a LAMA, a LABA, and an ICS. And both of these, and this I think is the very exciting part to it, even though their primary endpoint was uh, exacerbation frequency reduction, which both of these trials hit hands down, shockingly, but not so shockingly, and, and very, very encouragingly for the COPD patient, both of these drugs affected mortality. They decreased death rate. And I think that's a real, real key issue. So what are your take on these two trials and, and, and how are you feeling about them at this point? 
Yeah, it's, I think it's uh, actually a little bit ironic that there have been several studies where uh, altering mortality was the primary endpoint, and we have, a, unfortunately, a long history of failure uh, with respect to pulmonary studies and not meeting uh, a mortality primary endpoint. And then we have uh, two recent studies where uh, mortality was a secondary endpoint, but I don't think either of the uh, investigative groups thought they were going to hit it, uh, mortality on either of those studies. And so I think everyone was somewhat pleasantly surprised, uh, both because of the data from each individual study, but I think the fact that both studies demonstrate that triple therapy reduces all-cause mortality in COPD strengthens the weight of the evidence for either individual study. And I think suggests it's probably real uh, that in you know these higher risk patients that are uh, sicker, I think if I remember correctly, the mean FV1 for both studies sort of in the 45-ish percentage range. Uh, the mean CAT in both the ethos and impact study was roughly uh, 20, um, and and they both had a significant percentage of patients that had uh, two or more exacerbations uh, in the prior year. So it's a sick patient group. But if we look at these patients, all comers, um, we do see a reduction in all-cause mortality for those on, on triple therapy, um, particularly as compared to uh, dual bronchodilator therapy in both studies. So uh, to me, it's really, I think, an exciting message because one of the things that I've been most frustrated about, I think, with respect to, to, to CB therapy, and I know, Jill, you share this frustration, is that it's been hard um, to uh, get people to think about the importance of, of making sure you get an accurate diagnosis and getting patients on the right therapy. And I have felt for a long time that's because uh, there was a sense that you can't really screw it up, that, well, there's no evidence that there's anything I can do too much about this disease. So, you know, unless the patient's complaining, I'm not really going to bother trying. Uh, but now I think we're starting to accumulate some good evidence that you actually can save lives if patients are uh, in an appropriate uh, risk group and they're on an appropriate therapy. So I am not convinced that this data has actually yet trickled down uh, into, for instance, the primary care community. And I think uh, with the, the recent uh, publication, New England Journal of, of Ethos, uh, Impact uh, preceded its publication. Now that we have two studies, I think it is really important that we have uh, podcasts like this that really help to get that message, message out to, to people that are seeing patients in clinic. Absolutely. So I, I want to actually echo what you've said in, by way of a summary for this podcast and, and highlight some of these things. Number one, that, that clearly triple therapy is indicated for gold D patients. Um, and, and when you read these studies, as we've previously mentioned, make sure that, that the patient sitting in front of you, the patient you're treating, is the kind of patient that was enrolled in these studies. So we're talking about patients who, who are exacerbation prone, they have lower FED1s, they're quite symptomatic. Uh, clearly, it reduces exacerbations. There's growing data that it, that it reduces mortality in this high-risk, high-exacerbation-prone, lower FEV1 group, who we know already are the ones who are most likely to die. Um, so uh, in summary, um, I think there's very, very good news out for that 
patient uh, group that we often felt, as you've uh, already expressed, some frustration with, that we can, we can now offer them some light uh, in the care of these uh, very complex patients. So thank you for joining me today. Um, and I hope that we have an opportunity to talk again on another podcast. Thanks so much, Jill, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to go to morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash COPD3 to receive your credit and evaluate this program. And be sure to join us for the fourth part of our series at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash COPD4, where Dr. Ohar and Dr. Melan Han will continue their discussion on therapeutics for COPD with a review of the use of inhaled corticosteroids. You can also find all six podcasts in this series at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash COPD.